Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 293 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. As always, I remind you, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you click that notification bell so you never miss a live video. Make sure you subscribe to the audio podcast, which comes out on Tuesdays. Just look for Montero Unboxing, the neutral corner on uh, podcast platforms around the world, and you'll find me. This is episode 293 of TNC for the work of De- for the week of December 11th. And I'm going to go ahead and jump right into our guest. We're going to be joined by Terry, the boss Moss. Let's bring her on here and have a quick chat. Terry, what's up? How are you? Hey, Good. How you doing? I'm good. Are you recovered from this weekend? No. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, uh, so done. that college fight night card was a lot of fun. It was um, And that's the first of five that you're going to do? Yeah, we've got five five card series. So we're looking forward okay. to Do you have like a target date, like uh, as far as how often they're going to be? Yeah, or. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, we have two two on the books right now that we're okay. we're working on. I, off the top of my head, I can't recall the dates in front of me, but we do have two. Uh, it'll probably be three in a year, and possibly in the yeah you know, over two years to the complete the five year um, okay. five card um, the the set. series. But, yeah. yeah. Do you have any idea when you think it'll be back next year? Uh, I think the next shows we're we're, we're shooting for February. So, so kind of early in, yeah, you've only got a short window when it comes to these uh, UCBA fights because the kids, you know, they they're in school. That's their primary concern. Right. So you can't go near finals. Uh, they even do their national championships only during spring break. So, you know, a lot of kids yeah. <laughs> sort of do. I want to give up my spring break for a boxing match. Yeah, that's that's, so, a dedication. Yeah, that's the thing. But if it's in Vegas this year, like they're saying, it's probably going to be the nationals. Yeah, we'll have a good turnout. But um, yeah, when you go to Syracuse, it might be a little different. <laughs> which we right, did. yeah, especially in February. Like sure. it's spring break. We're in, so. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we, we we have to work around those schedules. But it's a it's a short window, so February is probably good. You know, early okay. early fall that kind of thing. It, what was cool about it is you had, of course, the Georgia Tech boxing team, which you're the, you're the coach for. You right. trained there at Buckhead Fight Club. And then there were several other schools that came out. I know um, Virginia Military Academy had several fighters there. We saw a fighter from Emory. We saw a couple of fighters from Maryland. Is that probably going to be the, the same thing in February? Yeah, we had some Vanderbilt there. Um, right, well, right. we hope that, uh, you know, this was the first broadcast. I think, you know, in general, a lot of not only the students, they were like, wow, we didn't realize what this was. So and, and including the, uh, you know, the the US IBA, they they weren't quite sure, you know, what what was going on with the broadcast and all that we, that we did. So they mm-hmm. I mean, now I think we've got them on board. I'm sure that going forward, it'll be a much bigger, uh, bigger event. Yeah. For, I mean, 16 fights was enough for, um, I was like, wow, this is a four hour show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I want, you know, maybe we could put like 12 fights that have them really good and some of the best, you know, that are in the schools or something like that. But uh, I'm sure that they're going to want to take part after this. And we've got schools on the West coast too. We haven't even dipped into anything past kind of the Eastern seaboard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I think the furthest West was probably Vanderbilt. Yeah. Vanderbilt. Right. Mm-hmm. So, right. so I, I, I definitely think you're onto something with these shows, Terry. I think that okay. there's a huge, huge uh, potential to, to bring in a lot more of this. Cause at college boxing, I, I just, I think of like, you know, I moved here from LA, right. And like college football is 
fucking huge here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, almost, <laughs> I should mention uh, the Georgia played in uh, what the SEC championship game was day, eight a night, few hours before right our, down the street. Down the street. <laughs> yeah. But I see the yeah. Georgia Bulldog flags like everywhere. And it's like, right. man, there, there's such a market there. If we could get college boxing on board, right. but I think right. people have to, there's just this stigma that that boxing's not safe and all this stuff. Um, how do we fight that? Especially now, you know, with the 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 young man that died from the UNLV, you know, right? Uh, you know, the, these things are difficult to work through. When even um, you know, some of the teams, um, uh, VMI in Maryland and Georgia Tech were the only ones that had official teams, uh, US IBA mm. teams. Um, the others were guests from other colleges, so they can box in club shows. But I think in a tournament, they maybe they don't. I, I can't remember if they. You know, I'm fairly new. We've only had this team for three years, but mm-hmm. um, maybe they can come unattached. But you know, one of the things would be to get more schools involved. I mean, that's that's one yeah. way to tackle it, so that we know that they're doing you know sanctioned events that that are specially designed for young athletes that are not career boxers. You know, that's one thing that uh, you know. If you go, it's like I was telling you know you guys earlier on the broadcast uh, on Saturday. You know, if you if a, if a kid comes to my gym and they say they want to be a fighter, I'm trying to rear a fighter. You know, I'm trying to get you know turn this person into a fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, see how far we can go that kind of thing. And any other boxing gym, but you know, when it comes to these school, you know, these school teams, especially under U USIBA or UCBA, these kids are going to be you know they're looking to be engineers and doctors, right? And especially and at Georgia Tech. And they're yeah. real. They're already afraid. You know, their parents are like, "No, your brain." <laughs> right, so right. You pretty, need that. You know, they're worried yeah. about what they see on television or whatever. But then, um, you know, it's it's just a matter of understanding that these are not career fighters. What you want to do is introduce, you know, hopefully future people, ticket buyers, and and supporters of boxing. You know, we want to we want to spread the word and keep mm. expanding our fan base. When there are so many other things out there now, even some new with that new sport that Triller put together. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell to call that. Yeah, I don't even know what to call that. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Anyway, but, you know, with all kinds of bullcrap out there on the market like that, what we want to do is get people, you know, more involved in boxing. And these young guys that have money, who know, you know, saying not maybe not now, but they will later because these are brilliant young minds. Mm-hmm. So maybe these will be the right guys to support the sport. You know, so keep that's, it a great, that's a great point. You know, yeah, get those. Those are the guys we want to be in our fan base that have always made boxing such a broad, you know, basis. You know, you go from the, you know, really – you know, the, the, the bottom of the finance uh, of the maybe socioeconomic mm. pool all the way to the top. And they're still boxing fans. That's what's so unique about boxing. So we, we like being, I, I personally like being able to get these kind of guys involved, you know, they'll be, they'll be boxing fans forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about it that way, but you're right. I mean, these are going to be future engineers and doctors and things like that. And it's like, if, if they get involved in boxing at a young age, who knows what kind of advances they can right. make when they're in their forties and fifties. But right, right. one thing that um, you were telling me Saturday that I didn't even realize is through UCBA, which is what USIBA. Yeah. Intercollegiate Boxing Association. Intercollegiate Boxing Association. There is, there's three different uh, divisions, if you will. And there's, there's open, which is for the most experienced fighters. Right. There's novice, which is what three to nine fights. Right. I think it is. And then beginner. And I love this because if you have uh, one fight or this is your second fight, you're considered a beginner and you're going to go up against another beginner. Right. Because too often in the amateurs, I know you've seen it a million times. So have I, you love a guy making his debut going up against a guy who has nine fights. Right. And and he's really lying and he's saying he has nine. So, so I love that there's a beginner 
division in in collegiate boxing. I think that that's something that maybe the parents should hear more because that would make them feel safer. Right, right. And one thing I know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, Mike. That's the biggest division in the USIBA is that, that beginner division's biggest one. Yeah. And, and one thing that I noticed doing the commentary Saturday was um, the, the referees were, were quick to call off a fight because right. there was a couple of fights and I'm going, oh, why'd you stop it? And I'm like, wait a second. I'm thinking about this like like a pro show. Right. Like, no, of course you're going to stop right. it. Right. There was right. a bloody nose or something. Boom. You stop it. These are college kids. So yeah. I just thought it was a very positive uh, environment and there was tons of safety protocols. Right. Nobody got seriously hurt. There was right. one stoppage, but the kid got up and walked out of the ring. It was fine. Right, um, right. All the bloody noses, every single bloody nose, <laughs> the kid wanted to keep fighting. He was like, no, yeah. don't stop it. You know? So so I love what I saw. But uh, let's, let's talk about this weekend. We have a, a, right. a pro card <laughs> right. coming up this weekend. Right. Um, the Underground Showdown. This is the fifth Underground Showdown uh, right. card. And um, you got a couple of Abel. Abel Aparicio is, is back on there. Right. Um, he last fought earlier this year, fought very, very well on the, the show that I fought on. He fought on the pro side of right, it. Right. Um, so, so talk about this car we got coming up. Yes, yeah, it's, it's evolving right now because uh, one thing about Atlanta, I mean, I think I might have mentioned that to you, but we've done more boxing shows this year than we have in 100 years. So I know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's great. Say, Atlanta's not a boxing town, not anymore. Yeah. We've got promoters from all over the country coming up, even in my my facility. You know, I've mm-hmm. I've done, I think, 20 shows this year since so way over the top. So the market is so flooded right now. You know, we even in uh, I have my show on the 11th. There's another promoter doing a show the same day. But I just found out today that he canceled his card. So now it looks like all their fighters are trying to get on our show. So the, mm-hmm. the card is moving a little bit. But, you know, I talked to him about it. I said right now, you know, it's, it's time for the you know a lot of promoters from other states coming in. Um, doing shows in Atlanta. And I'm like, let's, you know, I think it's time probably for the, for the true promoters that have been doing shows here for a while to come together, maybe do some co-promotions to, to chop down that busy schedule a little bit and make the, make the shows, uh, you know, worth, worth seeing and have, you know, have Mm -hmm. some good pro, uh, I mean, some good pro shows that are like co-promoted where we can, you know, put our guys on and sell the house out rather than everybody competing with it. We really can't do that anymore. You know? So I think the Atlanta scene, um, it's it's obviously still kind of trying to figure things out. Right. I've been here for three years and I've seen it grow tremendously right. from when I first got here. Right. I hope I had a little something to do with it. But um, right. I, I think we're getting some attention and some eyes here. And um, right. I, I, there's those growing pains, right. right? And I think right now, like you said, it's awesome that the Georgia Commission has had probably the most events ever in its history yeah but the downside of that is the market's kind of oversaturated right saturated yeah so um but yeah so our card is changing a little bit we've got brian norman jr now on the card we've got hakeem lopez these are uh i mean uh norman jr he's uh managed by cameron um duncan he's 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 gonna be fun to have on the show and then uh, i mean plus he's a great ticket seller we've got uh local hakeem lopez um He's, I forgot who he signed with. He signed as well. So we got a couple of really, you know, some some higher end beginner level prospects um, coming okay. in that are local guys. And we know them all. We've known them since the amateurs. And then we've got, um, let's see, we've got uh, a, a Russian heavyweight for the main mm. event. Uh, that That's going to be fun. Yeah, those will be, yeah. I love those fights. If they're, too, if they're really big, I'm worried are they going to touch the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of low in there. But well, we uh, had a guy in there recently that's six, eight. 
Right. I saw her good ring. I was like, shit. Yeah, that, that yeah. was cool. So. <laughs> yeah, those are fun. And and yeah, Antonio Todd is a local guy fighting out of my gym. He's he's yeah, I mean, he's got a really interesting rematch and a, a guy that he lost to before, but that was kind of an upset. So a guy named Del Vecchio yeah. Sa- Savage. So that's going to be, a, I think we got some good fights on the card. Uh, not a bunch of knockouts. I'm a, a, even a, a, a Bell Aparicio, my, my guy, you know, we're, we're fight, fighting a guy from Argentina, uh, uh, Facundo Assad is, is his name. Um, so we've, he's got a pretty good match in front of him. We've been trying to, you know, work, work the matchmaking in a, in a, in a way that's going to grow him and not just keep him stale at the bottom down there. So um, uh, we're, we're working. I think it'll be a good show. I hopefully it'll be good for the broadcast. Yeah. I think uh, your shows are always fun. I always have a blast right. and I can't wait to call the fights again. And for everybody watching, I'll post links, but it's going to be uh, streamed uh, live for free on the WBC live channel. So that's going to be awesome. And all you have to do is go to the site and create a login and boom, you can watch the, the show. Right. You can watch it from your phone. from Because there are people inside the venue Saturday watching the show on their phone. Right. It, it, right. And then there was, you know, on the TVs up there. It's it kind of weird seeing my face and then people holding phones. And I'm like, man, I'm all over the place. Right. But um, yeah, it's going to be a really, really good time. Uh, what time does the show start? Uh, first bell's at seven. The door's open at okay. six. We still have tickets at the door um, so far. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it should be a good night. Uh, looks like we're gonna have a, a long, you know, a long night now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because everyone's jumping on that car. Promoter out a little bit and uh, put his main couple of guys on there, and then, um, but it should be. I mean, I think this is a really good local show. Very good local show. I love these shows at Buckhead Fight Club. It's an awesome venue, guys. Anybody yeah. in the Atlanta area, uh, if you got nothing going on this weekend, come down Saturday night. You're gonna have yeah. a freaking blast. If they want to get tickets, Terry, where's the best place if they want to go online? Is it the Buckhead Fight Club site? Yes. Also, I forgot to mention, we've got live music in there, Divided by Five. They're returning. They were at our last show that you were at, Mike. The okay, yeah, yeah. They were awesome. At the gym. It's a, it's yeah. a nice... Uh, uh, and they get set up in the other ring, <laughs> which is cool because there's two rings there. You got the ring where yeah. the fights are happening and then the ring where the band is playing. It's an awesome yeah. venue. It's an awesome it's setup. Cool. Yeah, we have them on our website at BuckheadFightClub.com, and you just go to the events section, and you got to scroll because we got a bunch of events. But uh, you'll see the main, uh, you know, if you can, you can buy tickets to support certain fighters, or you can, uh, you know, just buy one from from the promotion there. And then also we have a link there for the free live broadcast. So if you wanted to get okay. to the WBC site, you can just click right on that link; it'll take you right to the page. Buckhead Fight Club, and for those of you outside of Atlanta, you might not know how to spell Buckhead. It's B U C K. H-E-A-D. When I first moved here, I was spelling it B-U-K. <laughs> so I didn't know how to spell bucket. So that's how you spell bucket. Uh, Terry, the boss, boss, thank you so much for being on the Thanks show. Me, Mike. And great. I'll see you. I will see you Friday at the weigh-ins, right? We're, yes. we're going to stream the weigh-ins too, right? On Friday um, or no? I don't know yet. Um, okay. Let, yeah. Let me know. know. Either way, <laughs> I'll see you Friday. Yeah, for sure. We got it, Mike. All thank right. You. Thanks a lot, Terry. Pleasure. Ciao. There she goes, Terry the Boss Moss. She is freaking awesome, guys. And we always have such a great time at, at, at those shows. Um, you know, my wife right now, Tiffany, she's helping out my sister um, and staying there. So I, I was just there solo uh, this weekend. But I think Tiffany might be back this weekend and we'll both go. But anytime we go to those shows, whether I'm working or not, we always have a freaking blast. So make sure you guys check that out if you can. And the, the stream on the WBC live channel, again, it's it's free. Just make a login, go to the site, just Google it. I'll give you guys a link, but just Google it for those of you listening later on and um, create a, a login and then boom, um, you can you can watch any events that they have there. But uh, it, it's a growing thing, okay? So there's been some, 
bumps, some production type of bumps. And so most of that's been on the local end at the venue. But um, we're kind of learning as we go, as we figure this all out. But we're building something here in Atlanta, and it's pretty freaking awesome. And, and Terry Moss uh, really, really does an outstanding job. And all the ladies there at Buckhead Fight Club, Lisa, Tina, the whole staff there, they're really, really great. Speaking of great, Chris Singh on the chat with a super chat, $100 super chat. Thank you so much, my man. Let me see. What, what kind of sound effects could I do? I don't even know what I have on here. No, that one doesn't work. That one doesn't work. I got to get some new sound effects on here. You, you, you get you get double applause. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate that so much. She just says, hey, Mike, I hope all is well. All is well, my man. Thank you very, very much for that super chat. That is freaking awesome. All right, guys. Um, man, $100. I, I'm going to keep you up there on, on the chat for a minute there, Chris, because you deserve it, my man. Let's uh, let's get into some quick news and notes, guys. Um, let's see. Got a few things to discuss, mostly buzz kills, unfortunately. Uh, fights being canceled and or postponed for different reasons. Of course, you guys have heard by now, Golovkin Murata postponed, not canceled, postponed due to COVID restrictions and all the craziness going on with that uh, over in Japan right now. They decided, hey, better off we, we just postpone this thing until we figure out what's going on. So my thought is, because a few of you guys have asked, well, is Triple G going to move on? Is it going to fight somebody else? Hell no. Contract for this is, is lock solid, as I understand it. And you guys, again, you, you just have to factor in all the international money involved in this event. It is a big, big event. Tens of millions of dollars. These fighters are going to get paid. So it's going to happen. Probably in quarter one, 2022, unless the, the current variant uh, gets much worse or something. I think this is just a precautionary measure. Also, uh, another Japanese fighter, Kazuto Oyoka, he had a fight coming up against Jerwin Akahas. That is, I believe, postponed as well. I, I think that still might happen. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's been postponed as well. Canceled fight, Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. I know you guys are just so upset about this, right? Apparently, Tommy Fury is injured. There's zero specifics or details about the injury out there. I haven't seen any doctor's notes. I haven't seen any photos from him at the hospital getting surgery. There's no specifics about the injury, but apparently he's injured. So that fight is canceled. It's interesting that Tommy Fury was the one who pulled out of that fight. I thought it might be the other way around. So that's it with news and notes. Not a whole lot on that front, but we have much to discuss when it comes to the review preview. So we're going to jump right into that. Uh, last Saturday, December 4th, we had fights on Saturday and Sunday, but uh, Saturday, December 4th, Anthony Yard, with an impressive win, the best win of his career, avenged his loss to uh, Lyndon Arthur from last year, scored a KO4 win in London, and that got everybody's attention, man. I mean, he, he's definitely proven himself as a top 10 light heavyweight with that win. That was an impressive win. Let's see if he can um, build on that momentum going forward because uh, that was not expected. I don't think anybody expected him to uh, come in there and perform as well as he did. So also over there in, uh, well, I'm sorry, Matchroom on the zone here in America, MGM Grand Las Vegas, uh, Devin Haney scores a unanimous decision win over Joseph Diaz Jr. And this fight went pretty much like I told you guys. Remember all of you picking Diaz to win by upset? 
It's okay. I get it. But I tried to tell you guys, Devin Haney and his father, completely different dynamic than Tio Lopez and his father. And we were not going to see a replay of what happened a week before in New York with Lopez and Cambosos. Haney just too long and too um, fundamentally sound as a boxer for uh, for Diaz. And look, if this fight was at 126 or something, different fight, okay? But at 135, I think Diaz has had maybe one, maybe two fights at 135 at lightweight. He's not going to be – he's always going to have a physical disadvantage at 135. Just is. And he's never been a power puncher. Even when he was back at 126 is where I think he started. So he just does, he doesn't have the pop to keep the top guys off of him. And Haney's busting at the seams at lightweight. Won't be there much longer. Maybe one more fight at lightweight and that's it for him. One or two. So um, he just, you know, Haney used his length well, like I thought he would. He boxed well. He held and kind of grappled and mauled and, and turned Diaz when he had to. And I thought he won nine rounds of this fight. I scored at 117-111. I thought it'd be a 116-112 kind of fight, and I was right in there. So, uh, like I said, fight pretty much went the way I thought. This was great developmental matchmaking for Haney. Great. And you, you saw some improvements from the Jorge Linares fight. The one thing that's going to hurt Haney when he moves up to 140 is going to be the power. But... Everything else so far seems to be pretty damn good. Also on this card, Jessica McCaskill defends her undisputed welterweight championship with a TKO7 win over Argentinian Victoria Bustos. And Montana Love, 140-pound prospect, and Philip Hergovich, heavyweight prospect, both got stoppage wins on the undercard. Sunday, December 5th. Oh, we have much to discuss. Much to discuss here. Let's um, showtime uh, pay-per-view, of course, from Staples Center, Los Angeles. TGB Promotions put this on. Let's talk about the undercard real quick. And I covered this event for ringtv.com. I did uh, three recaps last night. One had um, the main event, of course. One had the co-main. And the other had the rest of the undercard, including the untelevised undercard results. So you guys can find all that at ringtv.com. Also, it was shared on Twitter and Facebook. So if you're there, go to Ring's profiles on those social media platforms, and boom, you'll find my recaps. Uh, Eduardo Ramirez scored a unanimous decision win over Miguel Mariaga in the pay-per-view opener. I think this was, what, featherweights? Was it featherweights? Junior lightweights? I can't remember exactly what weight. This might have been featherweights. Um, either way. Uh, good solid win from R- Ramirez there. And then the next fight, to me, was the best matchup on the whole undercard, and it lived up to expectations. Carlos Adamas, majority decision win over Sergey Derevyanchenko, who has now lost four of his last five. And when you look at Derevyanchenko, this is a guy that kind of reminds me of, I-, I guess he has a MMA guy record, quote-unquote, for a boxer, has less than 20 fights, now has multiple losses because he's been matched so tough. And PBC has put him in there real tough. They protect a lot of their guys, but not Derevyanchenko. He's kind of been used as a guy to build up other guys. And he's been in there matched really tough in recent years. Fought the best middleweights in the world, really. Several of them. And in this fight, um, you saw that he had just lost a step to me. And I talked about this last week in a preview that Where these guys are at in their careers right now is what made this fight interesting to me. This fight two or three years ago, I wouldn't have felt 
as strongly about it because I think the Ukrainian would have won pretty handedly. But at this point in their careers, Drevyanchenko just missing half a step there, and Adamas did just enough in the end. Started out very, very well, won the first three or four rounds, and then Drevyanchenko made a charge in the middle rounds, and then the last few rounds were kind of split, two-way action back and forth. Uh, these guys landed a ton of punches on each other, but they were mostly headhunting. Neither guy really invested in the body that well. Uh, either way, Adamas gets out of there with the majority decision win, and I was good with that decision. I thought he did the better work, and he earned the victory. For Derevyanchenko, it just he has the look and feel of a guy that you think has been a pro for 15 years or something and has like 50 pro fights. And that's not what it is. Like he doesn't even have 20 pro fights. He hasn't been a pro as long as you'd think. Now he had an extensive amateur career, he fought in the World Series of Boxing. So that has something to do with it. But um, he's just been in grueling, grueling tough fights. Some he won, some he lost. But man, you look at his resume over the last three or four years, maybe even five years back. And it's one of the strongest resumes because of the guys he's fought. Now he's won some, lost some, but just strength of opposition. Man, he's always in there tough. And uh, I don't know where he goes from here because prime Derevyanchenko, he beats Adamas. And right now, you know, he's losing to guys like that. Who do you put him in with? I, I just, it, it could get ugly at some point, you know? So him and his team need to need to think because he's definitely made some money in some of these matchups recently. In the co-main, Sebastian Fundora scores a unanimous decision win over Sergio Garcia of Spain, handing him his first professional loss. This, of course, was a WBC junior middleweight eliminator. And coming, you know, following the Adamas Derevyanchenko fight, it was really, really hard for that. It wasn't going to live up to, to the, you know, action of that fight. But man, this was just a tough fight to watch. And it was just dull and awkward. And these guys, their styles together, they landed punches and they were both really, really determined and trying to win. The styles just didn't mesh very well. The, the, the chemistry and everything just wasn't there. Um, so in the end, Fundora uh, pounds out majority's, uh, I'm sorry, unanimous decision win. And this was a good quality win for him. Um, he wasn't able to simply just mow this guy down. He had to show some boxing ability, which he did do. I mean, there were times where he countered. He actually backed up and moved his feet a little bit. So I was impressed with this. And, you know, if you really, if you look at Fundora's career so far, he's still a prospect. And they're, they're trying to bill him as this contender and all that, but man, he's a prospect. And so this was a good developmental fight for him that I think will serve him well. As for Garcia, he showed he belongs. I, I thought that, because, uh, you know, some of these guys coming out of Spain or, you know, parts of Europe that have fought exclusively over there, you don't quite know what to expect. And he came over and showed that he was a determined guy. And I thought he fought very well and showed that he belongs. So I'd like to see him again. But just in terms of styles, these two together, nah, let's not do that again. All right, let's talk about this main event. All right, Gervonta Davis, unanimous decision win over Isaac Cruz. I think the scores were 116-112. One judge had it, and the other two had it 115-113. I'm totally fine with those scores. Some people on Twitter were upset. Some people were saying Cruz got robbed. No. No, guys. No, 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 no. 
I thought Davis eked this one out. I thought it was a close, competitive fight. I thought Cruz did very well. I thought if you gave every swing round to Cruz that you possibly could, you could see this as a draw. But no, I, I personally scored it for Javante Tank Davis 115-113. And I can even live with 116-112. In the end, Davis did the better, more consistent work and landed the, the harder shots, even though Cruz, I don't think, got enough credit from the broadcast for uh, his defense, which which was – it wasn't necessarily – he had some good head movement early on, but it was more catching the shots on the gloves and rolling with the shots. that Even when they landed, he was able to move with them just enough. You could tell that the Cruz's team did a lot of homework on Davis and watched a lot of film – and they knew the punches he was going to throw. Especially in the first half of the fight, I thought Javante Davis was very, very predictable with the punches he was throwing. And I think he maybe underestimated Cruz a little bit and tried to land that that uh, pole counter uppercut, that rear uppercut. Uh, you know, you got to remember Davis is a southpaw, so it's coming, it's a left-hand uppercut, that rear uppercut. And he gets a lot of leverage with it. And it's explosive, and he's hurt guys. He stopped guys with that punch. Cruz did a great job of keeping that right hand pinned to his face, and especially early on, those punches had pretty much zero effect. In fact, Javante Davis hurt his left hand, and he claimed it was from punching Cruz on the top of the head. I don't agree with that at all. I, I think it's from one of those punches being blocked. I, I mean, of course, I can't know for sure. None of us do. But I think um, Davis probably shot one of those uppercuts and hit uh, Cruz on the forearm, the wrist, you know, somewhere somewhere like that and hurt that knuckle. And he's saying now that he was hurt coming into the fight. And that's fine. I mean, th th those things happen. Maybe his left hand was sore, uh, one of his knuckles on his left hand, and he further injured it in this fight. But clearly. He felt good enough to throw the left hand early on because he threw it often through the first half of the fight. But increasingly in the second half, particularly in the last round or two, uh, you know, Tank just wasn't throwing the left hand. And you could tell it was hurt. So um, good for him, good of him to fight through that injury. Um, and he had the skill to do it and basically fight. You know, luckily, it wasn't his lead hand. His lead hand is his right hand. And he was able to work behind the jab hooks, uppercuts, 45s, and Cruz is limited enough and Tank is talented enough where he could pull that off. And I thought did enough work in the championship rounds to pull out a close, competitive, but clear win uh, for, for Tank. Real quick, you guys can read my recap on ringtv.com. I'm not going to go over every single line, but Jim Gray from Showtime um, asked, you know, do you want to give Cruz a rematch? And Tank said, hell no. That bothered some people. Like for me, I always want to hear a fighter respond. Um, yeah, I'll give him the rematch if that's what the fans want and everything. Let's do that. That's that's what I want to hear a fighter say. For him to just say, hell no, do I think he's ducking Cruz? No, I don't think anything like that. I just think it's kind of delusional and it just shows how disconnected he is from the pulse of the diehard boxing fans um, because that fight exceeded expectations in terms of its competitiveness. And you were already selling 
a showcase matchup against a B-level fighter on pay-per-view. That's what you've been doing for years now. Why wouldn't you run it back if it was competitive? I mean, your your boss did that against Marcos Maidana when it didn't work out the way he thought it would the first time around. So that's pretty much how I see this matchup. It's actually a watered-down version of that matchup, if we're being quite honest. So that answer, while it didn't bother me, uh, I kind of saw it as disrespectful to Cruz, but also it just kind of shows the level of delusion um, that 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 camp has. And they're just they're so disconnected from what the main not the mainstream, the dedicated boxing public wants, right? And they're so uh, their heels are so dug in with their niche fan base. and their their narrative is just there's just tunnel vision with it. So that answer didn't surprise me. Also, what didn't surprise me is right after that, Jim Gray asked, he finally, the, the last question of the interview was about Cambosos, um, Haney, you know, the other top lightweights in the world. And by the, he didn't mention guys at 140, like the real champion, Josh Taylor, let alone guys like Pro Gray, who, by the way, Regis Pro Gray called him out on Twitter, which was awesome after the fight. Um, Ramirez, guys, he didn't call any of them out. Um you know, Jim Gray didn't mention any of them. He just mentioned a couple of the top lightweights. And Tank just deflected and basically avoided the question. And you just use doublespeak and said, oh, man, they're easy work. I'm the top dog. And Jim Gray let him off the hook. So Jim Gray kind of did enough in that sequence to get himself off the hook because he can tell people, well, I asked the question, right? He saved it for the end of the interview. He let Tank get out of it, but at least he asked the question and he can say that. Um, but it's 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 difficult to defend what Team Mayweather and Team Tank is doing here. And I'll tell you why. First, I have to back up a little bit and I have to address something. You know, I tweeted out today that Cruz blocked the majority of the punches that Tank Davis threw including his big power punches. Now, some of them still, because they're so explosive, had an impact. And some of them did land. Some of them actually did land. But I thought the broadcast last night, at least it was my gut feel. Now, you guys tell me if I'm ex over-exaggerating here. But I thought the broadcast was focusing so much on what Tank was doing with these power punches and not giving Cruz enough credit for blocking. And it's not even that he blocked some of them. He blocked most of them. And even the punches that got through, it was half the punch that glanced off of Cruz's glove or it hit the side of the head. He never got caught in the chin once. There was not one flush punch that I can recall from Tank that landed flush on the chin. And I thought the Showtime crew just didn't give him enough credit for that and focused so much on the offensive aggressiveness that Tank started to show in the middle rounds going into the championship rounds because he knew – uh, the fight was kind of getting close, um, and he was trying to, you know, raise it up a gear, and that's what he does. You know, sixth, seventh round, he starts to get more aggressive and get more explosive with his punches and starts going for the KO. That's his pattern, and he started to do that, and it was impressive. It, it was it was exciting and entertaining to see, but Cruz was landing so many, of, or I'm sorry, blocking so many of those punches. So anyway, I tweeted about that today. And Al Bernstein got upset with me. So <laughs> me and Al have, have, have gone you know, back and forth on Twitter before, uh, both about things we agree on and, of course, things we disagree on. He doesn't like my take sometimes. He probably sees me as being too critical. 
I wasn't trying to suggest that the the showcast or the, the Showtime broadcast um, said that Tank landed every punch or anything. I didn't suggest that. It's just I felt they weren't giving Cruz enough credit. And they were trying a little too hard to sell us on tanks, you know, the impact of tanks punches. I don't know about you guys. I, I never saw Cruz wobbled. In fact, it was actually Davis that was kind of caught off balance and knocked back a few times. That's what I saw in the fight. Not, I'm not saying Davis was ever hurt or in trouble or anything like that. But there was a couple of times where he was kind of stopped dead in his tracks, knocked back off balance. His head got snapped back. Or he took a body shot that forced him to reset. You know, I saw those things. And I tweeted also today that um, Cruz is not an elite power puncher at lightweight. And, and, and Tank is yet to fight a true, you know, uh, elite level power puncher in his entire career. And there were some of the fanboys that got butt hurt over that. And they're like, oh, he has 15 knockouts in 20-something fights. He's a power puncher. He knocked out Magdaleno. And it's like... Trying to argue with these people, it's impossible. It's like trying to argue to somebody who believes in a flat earth that the earth isn't is not flat, or someone who thinks the earth is 6,000 years old, and you try to explain to them, no, it's actually billions of years old. You just you have to get to a point with these people where you stop trying. And so, like, I just stop responding to these people because if you think Isaac Cruz is a devastating, fight-changing, one-punch knockout kind of power puncher then you've just been sold what, you know, the propaganda and everything that comes from that promotion. And there's nothing I can say to you, but it's so evident what team tank and Mayweather, Leonard Ellerby, all those get Steven Espinoza, everybody involved is doing with Gervonta Davis. It's so obvious to anybody with a shred of objectivity and logic and reason and a shred of boxing knowledge, especially about the history or, or the business side of boxing. And if you are at all familiar with the way Floyd Mayweather ran his career after he left top rank, okay, and the way Al Heyman does business, if you look at that entire thing right there, it's so obvious what they're doing, you know? So if you're denying all of that, if you're being a science denier, right, and you're telling me that there's 4,000 genders, I can't talk to you about this anymore, okay? And it's not that I'm losing sleep over the business plan with Floyd Mayweather and Gervonta Davis. And, and for those of you who are just getting on the show, this is something I talk about a bunch and, and I've brought this up a bunch of times. My, my dedicated listeners to the show, you guys have heard me say this a bunch of times. I'm sorry. I have to repeat it, but the business plan over there. Okay. They're going to manipulate an uneducated fan base, a built-in fan base. That's going to be loyal and they're built in. Um, and they're going to fight B and C level opposition and sell it as these super highly competitive fights. Now, suddenly Isaac Cruz is this elite pound for pound level talent, right? And he, he destroyed Cambosis and Haney and, and Ryan Garcia. That's I'm seeing these tweets. I'm seeing these posts because that's what they got to say to beef up what just happened last night. But they're going to do that over there. They're going to continue to do that. And they're going to create this us versus them dynamic. And you know what? If that's what you're going to do, I ain't even hating on that. Get your paper up. Get your money. Do your thing. Okay? But don't bitch when we don't rate your fighter on the pound for pound list. Don't take it personal when we don't rate Gervonta Davis in the top two, three, maybe even the, 
not even the top five. He wasn't rated in the top five coming into this fight. We rated Tank at 140 coming into this fight because that's where his last fight was. But we had him number six at 140. Would you guys put him in the top five at lightweight right now based off this performance last night? If you do, okay, fine. Would you put him up in the top two or three based off this performance? So I say this because last week, and it even continued into last night, Floyd Mayweather specifically, but it wasn't just him. It was LRB and the other guys, but specifically Floyd has just been going on and on and on now, right? During fight week. And he, he was really, really just almost obsessed with talking about Canelo Alvarez, which I'll get to in a second. But Floyd was trying to tell everybody that the media and the fans, quote unquote, hate on Tank because he's associated with Floyd. So Floyd's making it about him. Big fucking surprise, right? And apparently we're all hating on Tank because we don't put him on the pound for pound list. And we're keeping him off the pound for pound list, not because it has anything to do with Tank, but because we don't like Floyd. Meanwhile, Floyd was rated number one pound for pound at Ring Magazine for how many fucking years? How many awards did he win through Ring Magazine? But apparently Ring Magazine dislikes Floyd Mayweather. Okay. Floyd made it about him and spent almost the entire fight week promotion talking about the fact that his fighter don't get no respect, blah, blah, blah. That's what it drives me fucking nuts. Okay. That's what drives me crazy because I'm like, dude, you can't have it both ways. Do what you're going to do what you're going to do business-wise. Manipulate the ignorant and take their fucking money. Because if you don't, somebody else out there will. I get it. I understand. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. That is capitalism. That's that's the world we live in, baby. I get it. Okay? But don't bitch when your guy ain't in the pound for pound list. Could you guys imagine if, if Lomachenko, when he was – highly rated on the pound for pound list. I'm talking about before the cam, before the um, Lopez fight. If he had struggled and almost had a draw with a guy on the level of Isaac Cruz and it was on pay-per-view, no less, after fighting on pay-per-view against a guy like Mario Barrios, et cetera, et cetera, there would be fucking riots on boxing Twitter if Loma was on the pound for pound list after that. There would be riots, dude. So let's just keep this in perspective. Let's just tell the truth. You don't have to lie. That's my whole thing. You don't have to lie. You can say what you're doing. It's okay. And you can continue to, cool man, five-time world champion, right? There was a graphic last night comparing Gervonta Davis, uh, his his titles, quote unquote, at 130, 135, 140, which are all bullshit. None of them are real titles. None of them. His only real title was at 126. I think it was 126 against Pedraza, right? And he lost that title on the scale, by the way. <clears throat> um, they're comparing him to fighters like Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather. And like a guy like me looks at that and I want to fucking throw up. You don't have to do that. Javante Davis is an exciting fighter. Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Ellaby and everybody has done a good job marketing him to Floyd fans, marketing him to the hip hop community and marketing him to the, and this is Leonard Ellerby talking here. Okay. This is the, the terminology he used with me, the black media complex. Okay. Or black Hollywood, as he called it. Uh, the, the celebrities you saw ringside, NBA players, ball players, 
rappers, actors, shit like that, right? That community at large, they know who Tank is and they're watching him, okay? And they're showing up at his fights. Whether they're getting comp tickets to go or they're actually paying for the ringside, hey, who knows? But they're going, all right? And he, he trends on social when he fights. He was trending last night on Twitter. So I get it. I, I get it. You're building in that niche fan base, a very, very dedicated, loyal fan base who really, really you know, shows up when this guy fights. Awesome. That's enough. You don't need all the extra bullshit that is divisive. And the one thing Floyd does, and, and what he's doing it right now with Canelo, I'll come back to the Canelo thing. All week long, he was talking about, um, you know, Canelo's on steroids. He's a steroids cheat, steroids, steroids. Meanwhile, Floyd Mayweather refused to do VADA testing right? Pacquiao, I've talked about this a million times. Pacquiao wanted VADA testing for the Floyd fight. Floyd said no, demanded USADA testing, even though it was 10 times as expensive and an inferior testing panel to VADA. Uh, Javante Davis, he, he wasn't doing VADA for any of these recent fights, right? So, so Floyd's talking about steroids, this, that, the other with Canelo. Um, it, Canelo wasn't fighting this week. Javante Davis was. Javante Davis and Canelo Alvarez do not belong in the same discussion. They are fighters on two, two completely different parallels when it comes to uh, the finances and ticket sales and all pay-per-view sales and all that stuff, but also accomplishment. Say what you will about Canelo. Um, I thought he lost to Triple G. A lot of you guys agree with me. Uh, but either way, his accomplishments in recent years dwarf, no pun intended, what Davis has done. So those two shouldn't even be mentioned in the same sentence. And it's just so bizarre that Floyd obsessively ranted about him all week before the fight and after the fight. Here's what's most interesting. You know, he said, ah, I, I tapped his ass. I beat the hell out of Canelo. Right. And somebody asked a question about Canelo being 23 years old or something and being very green at the time. He goes, man, 23 years old is a good age. He was now I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Okay. But this is the stuff Floyd has said in recent interviews, not just this week, but when he's asked about this question, you know, Canelo was prime. He had 40-something out fights. You know, you, the, the same media spin, you know, you always get, right, from them. Uh, 23 years old. But then when it comes to Tank Davis, who's in his late 20s, he's either 27 or 28, Floyd will say, no, he's still developing. We're, we're still developing him. So Canelo was fully developed in his, in his absolute prime at 23, but your protege at 27, 28 years old is still developing and not ready for the big time. Oh, okay, Floyd. What, what, what Floyd does so well, and I don't know if this is something he's been trained in or if it's just something he naturally has been able to tap into. He finds a guy to point to and say, this is who they're propping up. They, and you can fill in the quote for who you believe he thinks they is. And that might change depending on the situation. But he goes, this is the guy they are propping up. This is the guy they're overrating when it should be me, right? It used to be Pacquiao. And then remember when everyone wanted to see Tank fight Lomachenko? Floyd had nothing good to say about Lomachenko. And they, they wanted absolutely none of that. They flat out ducked the guy. And now it's Canelo that they're going after. And every time Floyd talks, every time Canelo fights, Floyd starts ranting and all his parishioners, the cult of Floyd, post video clips of their fight together that was almost a decade ago on Twitter or whatever social media platform. And that's the guy now he's kind of using as this anchor, this wedge. And he creates this us versus them thing. 
And some people really respond to that. Some people always got to feel like they're being oppressed or they're being held down or they're being dismissed. And you got to have a symbol for that, you know, and they got to have a symbol for the guy that's holding me down and the guy that's lifting me up. Right. And Floyd tries to play into that because really, really, um, I'm just going to put it, ignorant people really respond to that really insecure, ignorant people because it's visceral, it's guttural, and it's it's low-brow, it's low-hanging fruit. You can jump and dive right into that. You don't really have to think a lot. You don't have to use your brain. You just respond. Your lizard brain taps right into that, right? And that's Floyd is able to really, really use that, and he's profiteered off it. He's like a politician. He's better at that shit than Joe Biden. He's on the same level as Donald Trump and Barack Obama, and and Hillary Clinton, and all these guys, all these politicians, uh, both sides of the damn aisle, okay? He really understands how to drive wedges between people, create that us versus them dynamic, and be divisive, and find some sort of wedge issue to divide people. He's so fucking good at that. It, you'd almost think he was trained in it, but I really think he just naturally is, is just knows how to read people. It's a street smarts kind of thing. Some boxing fans love it. They just love it. And that's why they worship Floyd. But the majority of fight fans and media really don't like that shit. They just kind of want to watch the fights and enjoy boxing and, you know, all that. And that's why Floyd is so such a divisive, polarizing kind of character. But am I losing sleep over any of this? Do I really give a flying fuck about it? When I turn, when I, uh, turn off this show tonight, right? And I, and I go eat my dinner. Am I going to think about any of this? No. All the clips that you guys are, are posting all over Twitter, you're like, Mike, did you see this interview with Floyd? Or you see that interview with Floyd? I see some of the little 30-second segments that are tweeted out right? I don't go watch the 10, 20 minute version of it on, on YouTube because I've heard the God, the same fucking spiel for the last 10 plus years. What, the same way Floyd is marketing Gervonta Davis is the same fucking way he marketed his fights against Robert Guerrero, Marcos Maidana, Victor Ortiz. What he was trying to tell you guys that those were pay-per-view worthy 55-45 matchups. It's the same fucking thing. It's a watered down, dumbed down version of it, but it's the same fucking thing. So none of this is new. That's why I'm not outraged or shocked or whatever. I don't really have an opinion one way or the other about it other than it's propaganda. It's double speak. It's bullshit. So I, I, my advice to you guys would just be stop paying attention to it. Um, it just the only time I will respond is when you know I'm being called out or the platform I work for is being called out for being biased because we don't have this guy on a pound for pound list. And I get tweets and DMs from people um, all the time saying, oh, you guys are so fucking biased. Fuck you, fuck ring. And I'll look at the guy's profile picture and it's Floyd uh, or it's, it's Deontay Wilder standing over Tyson Fury laid down on the canvas. You know, that's their profile picture. That's you look at their first top 10 retweets and it's like, oh, okay, I, I get what this is. Uh, but you know, I get that shit all the time. So so I will respond to that stuff when Floyd, you know, starts going after us like that. 
or, or a Teddy Atlas one time called Ring Magazine biased and stuff because we didn't have Tank Davis rated on our pound for pound list. Like, that's crazy. Teddy should know better. But other than that, man, it, it's just the same old spin, guys. So, so my thing is stop watching those damn interviews because it's just clickbait. The guys doing those interviews, they know what Floyd's going to say. They know what Tank's team is going to say. And ultimately, as I always say, you guys have the power. You really, really do. You have the power in your wallet. If you stop buying these pay-per-views and you stop buying tickets to these kinds of fights, eventually it will change and they will step it up eventually. But if you got, if enough of you keep buying the pay-per-views and enough of you keep buying tickets and if enough of you keep clicking on the video interviews of all this bullshit, it's going to continue. So, you know, I, I guess what I'd say to that is some of you must enjoy it. Even though you bitch about it and pretend you don't enjoy it, somewhere deep down inside in the back of your brain, you must enjoy it because you keep buying the shit. All right, let's look at a couple of um, uh, super chats. We got a super chat here from Sam. Thank you so much, brother. He says, Tank versus Loma would be a hell of a fight. I agree. At this stage in their careers, I'm not that interested in it. But a couple years ago, that would have been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Don't see it happening, unfortunately. It's still very competitive at this stage, but um, it just would have been a little bit better a year or two ago, in my opinion. Sam with another super chat. Thanks again. He says, uh, could you imagine if the ref took a point from Tank for excessive holding? They know they aren't going to take points from their guy, and he did it all night. He did do a lot of holding and some... Bending of the rules and some borderline fouls and stuff, but <clears throat> some of us would call that craft. Um, particularly when the A side does it, it's called craft, right? When the B side does it, then it's called a foul. But no, Tom Taylor was the ref, and um, he warned Tank plenty of times, but yeah, they're not going to take a point for that kind of stuff. Carlos Cabrera with the super chat. Thank you very much. He says, Cruz versus Diaz would be nice. Had a few minutes to catch up. Isaac Cruz versus Joseph Diaz Jr. That would be hella fun because neither guy punches that hard. Both have really good chins. Both around the same size. Damn, dude. I like that suggestion, Carlos. That would be a fun fight, dude. That'd be a lot of fun. Sign me up for that shit. Hell yeah. Put that down in LA. That'd be a hell of a lot of fun. You know, guys, before I get into the preview, I'm going to jump to the phones. We've had a call. There's a caller here that's been on hold for almost half an hour. I'm going to jump to this call. Then we're going to do the preview. All right. And then we'll take all your guys' calls. So let's uh, jump to this call super, super quick. All right. 206, you're on the show. What's going on? Hey, what's up, Mike? Uh, this is DJ from Olympia, Washington. You got me? I got you, DJ. What's up, man? Hey, uh, not too much, man. Good weekend of fights. Uh, always working at this time, so it's nice to give you a call for the first time. Cool. Um, yo, so I was wondering, what did you think about kind of this weekend of fights as, as it relates to Mangia? Do you think you've kind of held back on Derevian Checo? Do you think? Adama's kind of throw a wrench in things, or do you think he's going to wait to see how GGE's on fight, like kind of unfolds now? I think Adama's uh, threw a wrench in things, but I, I think, yeah, Mungia is 
pro- he definitely wants to fight Golovkin if Golovkin beats uh, Murata, which is not a given. It's not a given. But um, they would probably want a fight in the midterm, right? Does he fight Adamas? I don't know about that, man. I don't know. That might be a little bit too risky. To, to you know, it might be too much of a risk for that Golovkin fight. Yeah, I don't know if that kind of shifts things up in a weird way. I mean, Adamas, he's not like a world beater, but he's kind of got that good in and out movement. He yeah. kind of might not be the guy golden boy in the East for Mafia. Yeah, I, I think that if they do a tune up fight early next year, because it looks like now, you know, Triple G Murata is going to be earlier next year. So let's say that happens in February or March or something. If, if, um, if Mogia wants to stay busy and take a tune-up fight around that time, it's going to be a guy a level below Adamas, I think. They're, they're just going to want to stay busy and get some rounds in. They do not want to risk because th- the fight with Golovkin, should Golovkin beat Murata, you got to remember, he's going to be unifying titles. So Mogia would have a chance to go up against Golovkin, which is he's the big money guy in the division, but also be two titles. They do not want to screw that up. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Do you, I mean, I kind of think, you know, it seems like everything's shaping up towards Golovkin Mangia. Do you think mm. anything changes with WBC, WBO? He's been the number one ranking for Charlo and Andre. Do you think they ever reshuffle things? Or, I mean, he's just not interested in enforcing that status. What do you think happens with that? The WBO's already reshuffled it. Um, they put Jana back there. Uh, oh God, I always forget how to pronounce his last name. Janabek Alkumani. Uh, the Kazakh fighter, they moved yeah. him up to number one because Mungia basically told them, look, I'm not interested. So I think he's hell-bent on Golovkin. I think that's what happens. Uh, or the golovkin Murata winner. I think I just think that's where him and his team want to go. And because of the economic muscle he brings in, you, know, you can make an argument that Mungia is maybe the second biggest – well, Murata is the second biggest brand in the sport – or in the sport – in the division – believe it or not, because of his, the muscle that he brings in with the Japanese money. But Mungia brings in the Mexican yeah. money, and that's pretty significant. So he's got some economic muscle he brings to the table, and that gives him options. But I think it's for them, it, they're either going to go after the Triple G Murata winner before anybody else. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah, I, got, I mean, I got a little sour taste in my mouth just where he's sitting in the rankings and the lack of you know anything happening there but mm. uh last point mike um i'm pretty pumped about with the top rank card on saturday i, I definitely like lobochenko to win but i like the way they stack their card with Keyshawn davis sanders is mm. garrett anderson lomachenko and i mean shoot hell yeah i prefer that over the pay-per-view card that we had last night so just your thoughts on that and you, you kind of like the way they're stacking things going forward yeah, that's a fun card. A lot of prospects. I'll I'll preview it in full here in a few minutes. But they, I like that they got the Davis brothers on there. It's uh, Keyshawn and his brother Kelvin are both fighting on that card. So they're gonna, they're they're making a heavy investment in Keyshawn Davis. And part of that was bringing his brother on board. And they're training. He's going to be training with uh, with Terrence Crawford's team and working with uh, perfecting athletes. They're, they're like a nutrition, strength and conditioning uh, firm. And they've been working with guys like Jamel Herring, uh, Bud Crawford for years. So I'm really excited to see how Keyshawn Davis looks. Uh, and then don't forget Nico Ali Walsh. You know, they're going to mention 80,000 times that he's Muhammad Ali's grandson. He's going to be on the card too. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Nico. Yep. 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 
No, I, I got you, Mike. Yeah, I you, you kind of beat me to it. I, I like Keyshawn Davis going up with Bo Mack and that team. They're, yep. they're all business, so that's a, great that they linked up. So I'm pretty fired up. I'll be watching all these fights going forward. But, yeah, excited to give you a shout. Uh, don't really not available to you this time of day, so have a good one, man. Nice, nice to go. All right, thanks a lot, DJ. Have a good one, brother. All right, peace, man. All right, good stuff, good stuff. All right, so uh, that is a perfect segue right into the preview, guys. Let's let's do that, man. And uh, man, there's a lot of boxing this weekend, a lot. So let's start with um, let's start here in Atlanta. One, I just want to reiterate one more time, guys. Uh, this is um, this this Saturday, December 11th, the Underground Showdown here in Atlanta. I'll be calling the fights from Buckhead Fight Club, and the stream is live. Uh, it's going to be another fun club show here with some local prospects and some some up and comers. Um, just go to the WBC Live channel and you go to their website. Just Google it. Go to their website and create a login, and boom, you can watch the fights. So it's it's going to be pretty awesome, man. Um, I always have a good time there. Fun cards. I always see something crazy. Last pro show I saw Buckhead Fight Club. These two dudes were um, tangled up on the ropes. Homeboy grabbed his opponent lifted him over the ropes and slammed him onto the commission table. Dude gets up, gets back into the ring, corners separate him, you know, calm him down. And the ref gives them a chance to continue the fight after like a five minute break. As soon as he lets them go, they tackle each other and get back on the canvas. And they're like, for real, like MMA fighting, right? Immediately break him up. That shit was awesome. So like, I always, you always see something fun like that at those shows. Uh, so make sure you check it out, man. That's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, so that's here in Atlanta. Also, uh, the Kettering Ring, Russia, Dmitry Bivol. Remember him? He's defending his light heavyweight title over there in Russia. And in Dubai, UAE, John Riel Casamero is defending his bantamweight belt. And Sonny Edwards, his flyweight belt. Donnie Nietes is also on that card. None of that, though, is going to be on American TV. Okay, uh, Echo Arena, Liverpool, England, matchroom on the zone. Connor Ben in his third fight of 2021. I love that he's staying busy. Going up against veteran Chris Algieri. This is at 147 pounds. And then Katie Taylor, undisputed lightweight champion of the world, defending her crown against Firuza Sharapova. And uh, um, just last weekend, we saw Jessica McCaskill defend her welterweight championship. She, of course, beat the great Cecilia Breckhouse to get that championship. A few years back, Katie Taylor beat her, right? And we keep talking about the lightweight division with the men, with, you know, Tank Davis just fought, and then uh, Haney fought, and then uh, Cambosis upset Lopez. Well, let's not forget Miss Katie Taylor. She unified that division long before the boys have, right? So maybe Devin Haney and George Cambosis fight next year. I should have mentioned earlier uh, Cambosis, who is, he's been everywhere, everywhere. He was in Vegas Saturday night for the Haney, uh, Diaz fight. And he talked, he was part of the, the zone broadcast. He talked with the guys and they wisely set up, uh, right after the fight, Haney and Cambosis talking to each other. And I really think it's possible those two might fight next year and completely put away any dispute over who the lightweight champion is. Um, again, Cambosis, drove down to LA to be for uh, tanks fight Sunday, but the boys might finally unify the lightweight division next year. Katie Taylor already did that shit defending her crown in Liverpool, England this Saturday. 
Over here in the U.S. of A, let's start in California. I love this main event, man. Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. TGB Promotions, PBC on Showtime. Nonito Donaire, 39 years old, Filipino-American, going up against Raymart Gabayo, 24-0, undefeated Filipino fighter, 25 years old. So this is 39 versus 25. This is um, the old veteran who's been to the top of the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain, and back up top again several times. And Gabayo, the young, undefeated fighter, trying to make his, uh, make his way in the sport. And O'Neill defending his WBC bantamweight title. He last fought back at the same venue in May when he scored that KO4 win over Nordine Ubali. We thought he was going to have a fight this summer. Wrote about this at Rig Magazine. Talked about it on my show a thousand times. It fell out for a bunch of personal reasons of stuff outside the ring. But he's finally going to get back in the ring this weekend. That's going to be a fun matchup, man. Also, Brandon Lee fighting on this card uh, against Juan Geraldez in a 10-round welterweight fight. Let's go to New York. Madison Square Garden in New York. Top rank on ESPN. Vasily Lomachenko going up against Richard Comey. So Loma's been fighting Tank or Tank, uh, Tio's leftovers, right? Because he fought Nakatani. Now he's fighting Komei. Some people don't like this. I kind of dig it because he's rebounding from a loss last year. Top Rank had a plan here. Their original plan, as I've told you guys, was to have Tio fight his mandatory against Cambosos right around the same time Lomachenko fought Nakatani. So the two of them could be doing a rematch right now instead of the recent fights we've seen. What ended up happening because of the gross mismanagement over on Lopez's team, uh, Tio lost, of course, to Cambosos a couple weeks ago. And now, um, you know, top rank had to go a different direction. And of course, they made this fight with Comey before that loss took place. But I'm just saying the fight between Tio and Cambosos got delayed so much. Top rank had to go a different direction with Loma. And that's what this fight with Comey is all about. In terms of styles, I like this matchup. It's a good style matchup. Comey is an explosive, strong fighter. Tio drilled him, got him out of there. Uh, do I see that happening with Loma? No, he's not that explosive knockout kind of puncher at this weight. Never really, really was at any weight, to be honest. Maybe he could get a stoppage here late. You know, maybe it's it's to the body like he did with Linares. Who knows? But in terms of styles, this is going to be fun. Of course, I favor Loma. I would bet the over. I would bet that this goes to distance and Lomachenko wins a decision. But on this card, as DJ on the phone mentioned earlier, uh, Jared Anderson, undefeated American heavyweight. Xander Zayas, undefeated junior middleweight. Uh, the Davis brothers, both Keyshawn and Kelvin. And Nico Ali Walsh. The drinking game Saturday will be how many times the ESPN broadcast mentions that he is Muhammad Ali's grandson. If you drink a shot every time they do that, you're probably going to wind up in the emergency room. Either way, we'll have a lot of fun with that on Twitter. Now, I'm going to be calling the fights here in Atlanta, so uh, I don't know how much I'll be able to see uh, all this action Saturday night. It depends on when the club show here in Atlanta ends. If it ends early, then I will haul ass home and watch one of these cards. The question is, which one would you watch live? Top to bottom, top rank has the best card of the weekend. It's not even close. In terms of the best main event, 
It's really between Loma and Come and Donaire and Gabayo. Either one of those, you can't go wrong. Okay. Either one of them can't go wrong. Really comes down to your preference as a fight fan. My hope is that these two main events don't start at the same time. Since the PBC shows out in LA, what would be smart is for them to wait. It maybe you get the Loma fight first, then the Donaire fight. Who knows? The one thing about top rank, though, their shows usually go very, very, very late. It wouldn't surprise me if this Loma Comey fight doesn't happen until damn near one o'clock a.m. or something Sunday morning. Trey Anner on the chat says, Don't play drinking games with Montero. Yeah. So Friday, um, the college show that I did here, um, one of my friends just happens to be a trainer and former fighter, Billy Falco, out in uh, Nashville. Two of his fighters were fighting on that college card here. Uh, two of the fighters were from Vanderbilt, which is right there in Nashville. So he's their coach over at Fighters Gym in Nashville. So he, they were here, of course, in Atlanta for the for the fights last Saturday. So uh, Billy crashed with me. And so Friday night, me and Billy went out, and my boy Trey joined us. And uh, we went out to have just dinner and a couple drinks. And uh, the night got away from us. <laughs> we ended up, I don't think, I don't think I went to bed until damn near three o'clock. It was like two 33 o'clock. So I was a little, uh, it, it was rough Saturday night calling the action <clears throat> from ringside. Definitely rough, but a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, Trey, I, hopefully you've recovered by now, my man. You, you were, I could tell you were hurting Saturday like we were. But I, you know, I hadn't had, I hadn't drank in a long time and um, I don't think Billy had either and didn't drink the rest of the weekend. No, no, no. Probably won't again until maybe next weekend. I don't know. Anyway. All right. I missed a couple super chats, I think. So let me go back and catch those. Uh, Yes. Okay. Let's see. I missed that one. Yes. Okay, here we go. Now I'm caught up. Super chat from from Crisp. Thank you so much, Crisp. He says, in regards to Haney, can you remember any fighter with not much pop that moved up in weight getting more punching power? That's a good question. Um, Damn. That's a good one, man. I can't think of one off the top of my head. What I have seen happen is I've seen guys move up in weight and actually their chin gets better. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, their legs get better. So I have seen that, but as far as moving up and getting more power, no, can't tell you I've seen that. The only time I've seen guys go up in weight and have power is when they already had power. So let's take Manny Pacquiao, for instance. Uh, a lot of Manny's power came from his speed and explosiveness. And we can actually add Tank Davis to this, although I do think Tank's power is somewhat overrated. But with Pacquiao, it was his angles too, his movement. When he went up in weight, his speed increased, if you think about it, because you know, when when Manny was fighting, let's say at featherweight, um, you know, he's fighting against fellow featherweights who are pretty fast. When he moves up to 30, 35, 40, 47, he's fighting against guys that are slower. He's bringing that speed up with him. And because Manny was twitchy and athletic, um, 
and explosive, he kept his speed as he moved up in weight. It didn't diminish like you see from some guys because some guys lift too many weights and uh, they don't gain weight the right way and they kind of lose some speed on the fastball. Manny kept it. And that's why Manny was able to, he wasn't as devastating a puncher north of 135, 140. I think he he had one fight at 35, one fight at 40. He both both ended in big knockouts. But once he got to 47, he wasn't a one-punch knockout kind of guy, but he still scored a lot of knockdowns. He dropped Chris Algeri like 472 times in their fight. He dropped uh, Ter- uh, Keith Thurman, right? So, so he was able to drop fighters because he caught them off guard with that fast, explosive, twitchy kind of speed. Um, so he always had that. In the case of Devin Haney, Haney is not a twitchy guy. He's not an explosive, twitchy, super athletic kind of guy. He's an old school technician. That will serve him well as he moves up in weight in the sense that, you know, those technical skills will stay with him. That won't diminish. And um, generally speaking, as you go up in weight, fighters are less skilled. Generally speaking, the, the lower weights are more skilled. But in this case, you know, moving up from 35 to 40, the skill level is the same, but that's negligible. The power isn't going to be there, man. He's just, he doesn't have a lot of pop, but he does have the technical skills and that's going to keep him in the mix against the top guys. The question is, can he land enough punches to keep his opponents honest? And can he catch? Can, Can he take punches, big punches from legit power punching 140s. So Regis Progray is a guy that I would say has really good pop at 140. Can Devin Haney take a flush shot from him? Some of the shots that Diaz landed Saturday night, what if Progray landed those punches? Hmm. That's what I'm interested to see. Sam A with another super chat. Thank you, Sam. You're awesome, man. He said, uh, you did not talk about the Philip Hergovich fight. He is 29 years old, power in both hands. And when does he get a contender? I think he's for real. I I mentioned it because it was a showcase fight, Sam. I I didn't really get into a whole lot of detail because of that. We all knew he was going to win that fight by knockout. I think Hergovich is a guy who's going to go as far as his chin takes him. He's not um, a super athletic, super fast guy. Not the most fluid guy. He's a little stiff. I, I, I'd like to see a little more fluidity to him. A little stiff in the upper body. But he does have power in both hands. More of a thudding power than a one-punch KO kind of power. More of a Vitaly Klitschko heavy-handed kind of power at heavyweight. Punching down at guys. Knows how to use his length and his leverage. Um, I think in 2022, you're going to see him fight against the top 10 guy. I'd like to see him against somebody like Michael Hunter right now. I'd like to see that. I don't know if it happens, but I think that we're going to see him in there with a top 10 guy by the end of next year. Sam A with another super chat. He says, uh, Tio fought with fluid near his lungs and could have died. My question is, how does this guy only have $20,000 to his name? He had to fight to get paid. Um, Well, Sam, to be clear, it wasn't fluid. It was air. And there's an actual scientific term for the condition he had Saturday or last well, two Saturdays ago, I should say. Um, and, and let me uh, just uh, let me back up. So those of you who are listening, 
Um, just so you guys know, some of you might not know this, but apparently it was discovered that Teofimo Lopez had air leaked air in his chest during the fight against George Cambosis. Now, some of you will be saying, well, yo, your lungs are in your chest. Everyone has air in your chest. No, no, no. I'm talking about outside the lungs. Air had leaked. And there's this, uh, again, I don't remember the scientific term. It's a big, long word that I can't pronounce. <laughs> I already butcher most of the names that I say on the show. Uh, but apparently, um, a tear in the esophagus can cause this maybe even a, a small tear in the lungs, but some sort of tear or damage to the chest area can cause air to leak and it causes pain and inflammation in the chest. And if you're, if you're hit the right way, it could cause an injury to your lungs and it can even cause a collapsed lung in severe cases and you can die from this. Now, it would take the perfect punch to do this, but it is possible. So this came out afterwards. Here's the thing. Remember the that giant 300-pound dude? I think he's a wrestler. I can't even remember the guy's name. That there was a video, a viral video of T.O. taking a gut punch from that dude. That could have did it. Also, excessive coughing could have done it. And apparently, Teofimo Lopez had COVID. My thing is, he had COVID back in June. This fight took place in November. So if there was trapped air somewhere in his chest cavity outside of the lungs, um, and there is severe pain caused by this. And he did say he, he, he felt pain in his chest before the fight with Cambosos, but he said, you know, he has asthma and he said he thought it was his asthma acting up. So if this happened during COVID, man, that's five months ago. You know by now, right? You would have got something because if you had five months of nonstop chest pain, you'd probably go to the doctor. But perhaps something a few weeks before the fight caused this, and perhaps getting punched by a 300 pound man I can't remember the dude's name, the giant or something. You guys in the chat will tell me. But, uh, you know, maybe that did it. I, I mean, I don't know what to say about it. But yeah, apparently. He needed the money for this fight because he doesn't have a lot of money to his name. Um, I, I don't know what to say, man. Uh, just how much of that money did daddy get would be my question. And I don't want to do a whole nother segment dumping all over T.O. Sr. But that dude is a lot of bling. And he brags a lot about some of his toys. How much did T.O. Sr. take from those purses? I don't know. But Coming off of that Lomachenko win, where you got a career-high payday, right? And you held out to get that career-high payday. Other people had to come out of their pocket to make that fight happen. How do you only have $20,000? $20, How are you in a position where you have to do the Cambosos fight? And if you really were in dire straits, why wouldn't you have done the Cambosos fight back in March or April when top rank was going to pay you now, it was only going to be a little over a million dollars back then. <laughs> I say back then like it's years ago. It was earlier this year. But if you were really in dire straits financially, why not take that fight then? Get it out the way. Why hold out for all this, what ended up being an extra couple hundred thousand dollars? Just, again, there's so many inconsistencies there. Um, it's hard to know what's what's true and what's not. 
<laughs> Trey says the night one TKO three a.m. Yes. Uh, all I'm all I know, Trey, is that that Saturday afternoon nap was good. Me and Billy walked up to Ips and got pasta. I got a big plate of rigatoni, destroyed the entire plate. Walked back home, passed out on the couch. Good times. Another man, we get lots of super chats tonight from Captain Hook Chronicles. Thank you so much. He says Soro versus Madramov is the best matchup of December. Yeah, maybe, maybe because you know we've had several cancellations. I mean, before that, uh, Yoka Ankahas, I was super high on that one. Triple G Murata, super high on that one. But now you might be right, my man. That might be the best matchup of December. A lot of fights this month. Most of them are showcase fights. If we're being honest, most of them, uh, the A side is very, very clear in the matchups, right? Although I will say uh, this weekend, Donaire Gabayo is interesting because of the age difference. You know, Donaire is the favorite. He should be. I get it. Mendeli in the chat says esophagus tore the night before while he was eating. How would you tear your esophagus while eating? Because doesn't food go down a different tube than air goes through? <laughs> Is esophagus with the... Uh, I'm going to sound like an idiot here. Um, what was he eating? Glass? Was he like chewing glass? I, I don't know, man. I, I honestly don't know what to think. Yeah, Anthony Santiago says, probably should have let a 400-pound man punch him in the chest. You think? You think, Anthony? Yeah. Maybe not. The mountain. That's what, yeah, Anthony, the mountain. That's right. I, I was close. I said the giant. Yeah, it was close. But, uh, yeah, the mountain. Is he a wrestler or something? I don't know. Is he is a massive human being. And, okay, he says uh, the guy won the world's strongest man competition. Oh, so he actually, wow, so he's actually an athlete. So, damn, taking a punch from that dude. Probably not that smart. Just not that smart when you're in training camp for a fight. And you have asthma and recovering from COVID. And you only have $20,000 and, and you're in dire straits financially. Just, just, guys, my brain hurts trying to figure all this out. Like, seriously. Oh, boy. It just doesn't make sense. Tim Shee says $20,000 due to the pay sanctioning fees for every belt, multiple camps. Was paying his trainers, his strength coach, his, his dietitian. Oh, he's going through a divorce. I'm going to guess money is tight. Good point about the divorce. Forgot about that. Good point there. I'll also say this. You know, he tried to shit all over Grandpa Bob. And that probably bit him in the ass. Um, because I know they re-upped and all that good stuff, but I would be pretty hesitant to lay out a big signing bonus with a guy who was trying to walk away just a month or two ago. So um, something tells me there wasn't the biggest signing bonus with that re-up. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. J just some bad decisions made there, top to bottom. Absolutely. Gail says, one big reason Tia Fimo might be hurting financially, his breakup and pending divorce from his wife. Apparently the relationship imploded, right? Yeah, totally forgot about that, guys. So, so thank you for reminding me, because um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole. Just you know, 
in, in that situation, Tio is a very, very young guy who just came into some money. Probably not the best time to get married. There's just a, a mountain of mistakes over on Team Tio in the last few years. Maybe his mom was onto something. HLD says, David McWaters. Yeah. Yeah. How much money did old David get there? Hmm. That's a good question, too. Very good question. Jose says, dang, all bad news for Tio. Yeah, man. Here's the thing. It's going to make him hungry. It, he's really going through all this. It's going to make him a hungry guy. When he comes up to 140 next year, he's going to be a hungry man. That's going to make him a dangerous man. And that's going to be entertaining for us. Sal PDR says, immaturity got him in this situation. Yes. And if I could step on my soapbox for just a minute. <laughs> And I don't want to be sexist, but fellas and ladies too, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to go both directions here, but especially fellas, because, you know, I'm, I'm a guy and I, I can relate to guys a little better in this situation. Don't get married when you're 22. How old was Tia when he got married? 21, 22. Don't get married and start having kids at that age. Don't do it. You're not a grown man yet. You're still a moron and you're still going to be a moron until you're at least 30 guys are always half a moron. That's just our genetics. Ladies are smarter than us and a lot more mature, but guys don't <sighs> fighters, especially fighters who just got, just fell into some money and you're on the verge of getting seven figure paydays and all this. You don't sign away half of your shit to somebody you really don't know that well at that age. Just wait. You don't have to get married. You can wait, okay? I'm saying this as a guy that got married later in life. You're a lot more mature. You're a lot more familiar with who you are and what you want and what you don't want, which is most important. Deal breakers, deal makers. And um, these things work out much better when you wait. Exercise, patience. That's that's my public service announcement for this episode of the show. Gail says, you know why divorce is so expensive? It's worth it. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, man. You guys are you trying to jade me on marriage over here. Pietra says, Mike Ellerby versus, oh, <laughs> Leonard Ellerby versus Eddie Hearn. Who wins? I think Eddie Hearn would tune Leonard Ellerby up. He's just in better shape, taller, has more reach, and he's actually thrown punches before. I would definitely take him in that fight. Captain Hook Chronicle says, looking at the same, some career through the divorce, and you understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. True, true, true. I've seen too many fighters get messed up with, with ladies, man. It's just, don't understand. Just, just Guys, don't get these girls pregnant. If, if you don't want to be with them, don't marry them just because you got them pregnant. Um, just be smart. Just use the big head more than the little head. It's simple. In this country, specifically in the United States, you can rise up out of any financial situation. You really can. As a guy, you just have to do a few things. Number one, stay out of jail. Number two, stay out of debt. Number three, save money. 
if you marry some chick at 21 and you're divorced six months later, or you're going to jail, you're acquiring a bunch of debt, you're going you're gonna to stay in trouble. It's not going to get better for you. <clears throat> Rach says, Will Smith got messed up too. Yeah, Will. Will Simp. Will is just the poster child for the modern American male right now. Dude's balls are shriveled little raisins. I don't know what's going on with Will. The one thing with Will, he's got fuck you money, so he's going to be fine. He's going to be just fine. <clears throat> Ray says, wait until you're at least 26, though. 23 is a bit young to get married. I say wait until you're at least 30, but that's just me. And look, everyone's different. I have I have friends that got married in their 20s, and they're still together, and they're really, really happy. And so, so guys, of course, you know, every situation is different, okay? I'm not trying to poo-poo it. I'm just saying most guys are stupid until we're at least 30. I'm still half a moron, and I'm 42. It takes a while for us to settle down and mature and figure out what the hell we want in life and who we are. And especially if you come from the working class, the lower class, and you're trying to get out of that situation to get into the middle class, man, children are going to just wait, wait until you made it, then have the kids. That That's what, that's what I'm doing anyway. That's, you know, that's what I'm doing anyway. James Burrell says divorce is actually $49 if both parties agree to everything, but that is rare. Yeah. That sounds like a Las Vegas divorce. It's like, hey, I got married last night. Hey, Padre, can you can you reverse this shit? Here's 40, 50 bucks. <laughs> Sal says, LRB's nose, KO's heard. Damn. <laughs> That's cold. That is cold. Uh, Richard says, Bob Aram said, I've seen more boxing careers ruined by women than right hands. You know what, dude? That was the most honest thing Bob Aram has ever said. I've seen it too. I've seen it too. A lot of the biggest upsets over the last five to 10 years in boxing, some of the stuff I can't talk about on the record because it's it's off the record stuff, but I know what was going on with some of these fighters with either their significant other or a woman who wasn't their significant other. Literally the day of the fight, literally in the locker room before the fight, um, I've seen and heard and been privy to all sorts of interesting information. Y'all ladies, y'all have a power to get inside of our head more than any damn other thing else in this world. Uh, you, you really, really do. Y'all ladies are very, very powerful. <clears throat> SY says Arturo Gatti's death was the saddest example of a bad marriage. Yeah, that was one where if I was around Arturo, I would have said, Arturo, don't marry this woman. Have a good time with her. She, she's bad. She's, she's a very, very beautiful woman. She's also a stripper. Have a good time with her. Don't marry Arturo. Don't marry her. <sighs> sad, man. Very, very sad. All right, guys. That's it, man. I thought we'd have a ton of calls today. Look at that. We had one call. That's just how it goes. So, some days you think you're going to get 20 calls. You get one. Some days you think you get no calls. You get 30. Oh, one more super chat from Anthony Santiago. Thanks so much, Anthony. So Fury is going to regret trying to get Usyk next. What do you think? I think Fury's just talking shit, man. 
I think he's just talking shit. He knows damn well that Usyk and AJ are going to fight next, and Fury will fight somebody else early next year in the spring. Trust me on that one. All right? All right, guys. Have a good one. I'll see you Friday. All right? Peace.